0: And this morning uh, we're looking at James chapter 5 uh, verses 1 to 6. That's James chapter 5 verses 1 to 6. Now listen you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Well, let's pray. Father God, uh, as we open your word now, we, uh, we come to some very strong language and Lord, it's language which uh, isn't unjustified. It is justified, Lord. We, you know, the, the, the topic here of oppression and exploitation is one which we need to understand clearly. And so, Father God, as we open your word, give us great confidence now, Lord, that we're coming to your living word, the word that the Holy Spirit has breathed out for us to know. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful to it and convict our hearts, Lord, and help us to be renewed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in 2015, uh, Fairfax Media and the ABC Four Corners did an investigation, and, uh, and the investigation... Uh, was into 7-Eleven, who had been caught uh, cheating uh, people of their wages. They were being exploited effectively. They were underpaying them and they weren't giving them what they were entitled to. Then in 2019, the McKell Institute uh, started compiling a whole bunch of surveys uh, which which had gone out uh, on mainly... uh, temporary migrant visas, uh, people who with those uh, working conditions and, uh, and younger people to just see if this idea of wage theft uh, was as prevalent as what uh, people had been saying it is. Well, it turns out on average 60% of survey respondents had experienced wage theft. In other words, their employers weren't paying them. Uh, this increased to 76% for younger people In fact, it became obvious that wage theft had become the norm across several industries and it was seen that it was even written in the business plan of some some models. See, many fruit pickers were being paid as little as $3 a day. Channel 7 7 News had an article only in June uh, detailing uh, this very thing. See, wage theft is prevalent uh, and it's, it's, it's stealing, effectively. But it's usually against those who are, who are powerless and those who are in need and don't have any social welfare or anything else to fall back on. And it's difficult to detect because simply people don't want to report it because they would lose their job and have nothing. Well, this morning, James shifts his focus to a group of people that are effectively committing wage theft, are exploiting the vulnerable and the oppressed. Now, he's addressing most likely those outside of the church. Uh, This passage really is connected with the next passage, uh, but I've split them in two because I think there's a real message for us here this morning. Uh, He's addressing rich people who are exploiting the poor and vulnerable. And we see the type of people uh, that these people are in verse 4. Uh, it simply says, uh, Look, the wages you have failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are, fields are crying out to you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. It was the same back then as it is today. Uh, these are landowners who weren't paying. Uh, paying uh, the people uh, as they should be. They were withholding in order to make more profit uh, for themselves. And it's not the first time that James has addressed wealth. Back in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, he said this. He said, "'But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, "'since they will pass away like a wildflower.'" For the sun rises and scorching heat, uh, with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. And then, in chapter two, verse six, uh, he says uh, that believers shouldn't show favoritism to the rich. Uh, because they dishonor and and dishonor the poor because the rich are the ones who exploit them. He says in verse six, "Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court?" So this is a bit of context for us as we go into this passage. There were obviously rich landowners who were being uh, who were being favored, yet they're the ones who weren't displaying. Uh, the, the, the character that Christ uh, had, had, had called them to be uh, with their landowning and their profit-making, if you like. So here in chapter 5, in verse 4, uh, we're told clearly that it's landowners. See, there was no fair work commission in this day, Uh, There was no appeals to be made, just like really the temporary migrant workers uh, who come into our country really have very little rights. Uh, Even though they may appeal to the Fair Work Commission, often they will just lose their jobs and they've really caught in a place where they're at the mercy of the landowner. And it was the same back then. But see, James is giving a great warning. He's saying to you rich people, there will be a day of vengeance A day of judgment when all these things will be brought to light. The oppression and the exploitation will be brought to justice by the just judge. If you just have a look at the beginning of this passage, verses 1 to 3, he says this, Now listen, now notice that that's how he started last week's passage. Now listen. It's a very forceful thing. Now listen, these are people who often don't listen because they've got everything and they don't listen. Uh, But listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. See, while there's been rebukes in James's letter so far, here we're confronted with the harshest of language. But I think what's happening is he's reflecting the language of Jesus. See, Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who are uh, in the final judgment uh, found to be living for themselves and oppressing and exploiting those uh, who were at their mercy. Now, the reference here to wealth rotting and corroding and moths eating clothes is a reminder of what James says about uh, what Jesus says about wealth back in Matthew uh, chapter 6. Uh, in chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, I don't have it up there, uh, but he says this He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, wealth comes with a great deal of temptation. If wealth creation is the goal, then our priorities and our view of others changes. We see others as resources. We see others as just productivity We see others in terms of economic growth. Sounds very familiar in what drives our economy sometimes. See, people become a resource to be exploited because the goal isn't for people, it's for profit. Fair pay, fair conditions, equality, justice... Well, they don't serve the goal of profit-making and wealth creation, and so people and paying them are, are things to get around. And James says there is a day of judgment coming from those who are exploiting and oppressing others, for those putting profit before people rather than people before profit. Now, the context of this passage, which I mentioned, is really with the next section. So James in his day was addressing probably the non-Christians, even though they were coming to the meetings every now and again and receiving uh, favoritism. uh, They were really not in the Lord just simply because of their life. And then he's saying in the next passage that to be patient in your suffering under these circumstances. He's saying when you're being exploited and when you're being oppressed, Well, remember, there is a day of the Lord ahead. There is vengeance and there is a justice ahead. And so the just judge will come and judge in his justice. And so what happens is that we can read these passages and go, well, why have you divided these passages when really we are the believers in the next section who need to be patient and we think, oh, we we are the victims here. Now, the reason I've split it is because I think that's very dangerous for us. Sometimes we think we are the victims all the time and we are not the oppressors. Well, I think this passage has a great deal to say to anyone who is wealthy. Now, I know most people that I talk to in our culture say, well, I'm not the wealthy one. They're the people on the richest 100. Well, I just want to... I just want to show you why we are all wealthy, and I think there's a great warning here. Now, in terms of the average wealth per person, now that's average, so everyone's wealth in all of Australia, you divide it by how many adults there are, and you find... Uh, find a figure, which is an average figure, I think it turns out to be about $500,000 or something, well then we are number five in the world. But I think the better way to do it is what I've got there on the screen, which is the median So you look at everyone's wealth as individuals, then you come back from the richest and the poorest and you keep working back and you find the middle ground, the one that's smack bang in the middle, so you're not averaging the wealthiest persons out over everyone else. We are number two in the world. Our country is the second wealthiest on individual basis, in the whole world, the second, and have a look at number one, Luxembourg. They have very few people compared to what we have. See, in terms of this, we are wealthy and we can't pretend we are not wealthy, particularly in a global marketplace, a global, uh, a global economy in which we are utilising the resources and the labour of people all around See, this passage warns us that we must ensure that we are aware of whether there is exploitation or oppression being at the hands of how we're using our wealth. Now, just to get really practical, on the Baptist World Aid Australia's website, they publish, I think it's every year, the Ethical Fashion Guide. Now, fashion is one of those... Areas where the, the, the labour in other countries has been shown to see people being exploited, the conditions are poor, the pay is minimal and they're being exploited. Well, the current one is uh, an ethical uh, a, a COVID edition uh, to look at how co- companies are looking through their supply chains to ensure that there's no unethical practices and exploitation happening. Now, I thoroughly recommend you to get on their website, download the guide, and, uh, and, and get quite active in this. But I just want to explain to you uh, how... how There's the six criteria, and they should come up on the screen. There's six criteria in which they put a company against. The first one is to support... Are they supporting workers' wages by honouring supplier commitments? So if they've committed to use... The resort to, to use the factory or whatever it is, they follow through and they do that. Are they identifying and supporting the workers at greatest risk? Are they listening to the voices and experience of workers? Are they ensuring workers' rights and safety are respected? Are they collaborating with others to protect vulnerable workers? And are they seeking ways to build better conditions for workers and the world after the pandemic? Well, against those six criteria, Uh, They are then ranked and rated. Uh, And there's three broad categories. Uh, Those who have uh, shown evidence of action towards all of that criteria, or some of that criteria, or none of that criteria. Now I'm just going to call out a few companies uh, in that report. So some of those who have shown a commitment and action to ethical fashion in all those criteria are Kmart, Now a few years back they were at the heart of quite the other end. Uh, Target, Big W, Adidas, Puma, Kathmandu, New Balance, these are all companies that most of us in Australia have used or are using at some point. And this report says we can be confident that they are active in showing that there's no exploitation of the supply chains going back through their fashion. Now those who have made some uh, progress or shown some action towards some of the criteria, best and less, Gap, Industry, Maya Nike, Rip Curl. Quite often the, the higher, more expensive products, ironically, uh, are the ones who aren't always uh, compliant. And then there's the companies that don't show evidence at all. Remember, this is just fashion. Uh, Coles, Jeans West, uh, R.M. Williams, R.M. Williams, I've got a pair of R.M. Williams boots because I was in the army at some point and, uh, and, uh, and I got them for nothing. Uh, but they are expensive. And to think that there's a supply chain down the line there somewhere where people could be exploited, well, that's awful. See, perhaps we shouldn't be supporting these businesses. See, the cries of the poor, we're told, and the oppressed are being heard by The Lord. We should be caring for all people made in the image of God. We might get cheaper clothes uh, out of it at some point, or we may look good at some point, but that is at the exploitation of people who have been made into the image of God. But it's not just using your money, it's about advocacy and real action towards being a voice for those who have no voice. Jesus came and walked amongst the sinners uh, as the, as the adulteress was about to be stoned to death. He said, You who are without sin, cast the first stone. He stood up for the poor, he stood up for the oppressed. His whole ministry was to heal those who were deemed unclean, who had been captive to the religious authorities and the, and the power brokers of the day, to set them free. As he, uh, in Luke chapter 4, as he unrolls the scroll to declare his ministry and he quotes Isaiah, I've come to set the captives free. And to the point of dying on the cross, so that they could be forgiven themselves and know true Freedom that it's not about the wealth, that it's not about this world, that it's not about the accumulation of a kingdom for the self, but it's the accumulation of a kingdom of God. That's why I appreciate what Baptist World Aid are doing, and we should support them, which we do as a church. But to sum up what James is saying here, he's saying never forget, and I made this up myself, Never forget your affluence will become effluent. There you go. You can stick that in your mind. Your affluence will become effluent. It is no, it's just a waste product that's going to disappear, be corroded. It's going to be eaten by moths. It's going to be rusted away. And all you're going to have as you stand before God is a pile of rusted effluent. Not that you can rust effluent, but you know what I mean. See, don't value your effluence over people. Don't value that garbage over a child made in the image of God. Because it'll all be good for nothing. Be willing to pay more. Be willing to sacrifice your business profits, your personal wealth, so that you are investing in the kingdom of God, where moth and rust do not destroy. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us a parable about what the kingdom, he tells us several parables about what the kingdom of God is like. If you remember, he says, well, you need to wait for it eagerly and you need to be prepared. And he says the parable of the ten virgins, five took oil with their lamps. The others weren't prepared. They were too busy. They just took their lamps expecting the bridegroom to come straight away. And, uh, and in the end, they, they, they weren't ready. In a sense, it's the same thing. We're building our own kingdoms and not really preparing for, for entering into the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he says, don't dig a hole and bury our gifts in the ground out of fear that the, that the, that the landowner is going to come, that God's going to come and, and judge you. No, you've been set free from that. He gives the parable about what to do with your talents. No, take them and invest them and, and use them for the kingdom of God. You don't have to fear him coming back. You only have to fear if you've, if you've done nothing with them. You've been too busy over here doing your own thing. And then Jesus says when he comes again in his glory, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He said an inheritance will be given to the sheep, those who are his flock but then he says this sobering reality. He says this is how his sheep will be recognized. And he says this from Matthew 25 verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For when I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then those who are judged because all they have is nothing that they've done for anyone else will ask the same question and get the same answer, and you will be cast out. See, Jesus sums up all the law with these two things love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? was the question of the religious elite. And Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan. The one who is beaten. doesn't matter what their culture, their ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what their religious religious affiliation is. The oppressed, the beaten, the afflicted. They're your neighbour. And as he comes to separate the sheep and the goats, the fruit of your compassion, the fruit of your love for your neighbour is going to be the evidence of whether you are in his flock or cast away. Evidence of an authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ of your salvation. Your affluence will become effluent. Therefore, put people before profit. Don't just wait for a need, seek a need. And I trust that our church will be one that continues to seek to put people before building some sort of kingdom of our own here. Your affluence will become effluent. So put people before profit. Heavenly Father, we come and we lay down before you our desire for affluence and our desire for the kingdom of this world and building things which are going to become effluent, going to become garbage, Lord, going to rust and be destroyed. Father, we, we are in a culture that values wealth creation over people in so many areas. And Lord, we may not like to think about it, but there is exploitation happening right here, all around us, Father God, I pray that we will be people that use our wealth and our profits in order to have an impact in other people's lives, to build them up, to meet their and satisfy their needs, to provide for them because we love them simply because you first loved us. Father God, I pray that you will renew our hearts in this and help us to be people who are self-sacrificial, and seeking to put others first. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.